Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Coop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. Today we're talking about prayer being powerful. If you were here last week, we spoke about the fact that God thinks about us. We, we draw near to God because He's not upset with us. He's thinking about our future. He's thinking good thoughts about us. And that's inviting for us to pray because we know that God's for us. He's not against us. We talked about the fact that God's not far from us. He's actually very close. And then we also mentioned that instinctively we pray, especially in times of trouble. We are created with this God-shaped void. Blaise Pascal, the great French mathematician, talked about the vacuum that's inside of everybody and that in times of trouble we will reach out in prayer. That's not the only time we should pray. Of course, we should be praying at all times. Uh, Jesus said men ought always to pray and not lose heart, not be troubled. Literally means don't let your faith melt away like a piece of ice on a hot summer day. Don't let your faith melt away. Always be in prayer. This past week, we instinctively went to prayer when we saw what happened in Japan. If you're in our life groups, our small groups this month, we've been using some material from a great church in New York. Uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle, and that uh, series is all about prayer. And Pastor Jim Simbola from there is telling us a story. Then he's also <coughs> sharing with us on how we can pray effectively. One of the life groups was speaking about how they had done their life group, and they talked as a group about the fact that we pray instinctively in times of trouble. After the life group was done, they turn on the news, and they're watching the news, and they see the tsunami rolling through in Japan, and they instinctively went to prayer. I think that was the case for most of us. We instinctively just wanted to pray for that nation. And we certainly weren't the only ones. I was just looking up yesterday and even watching the news yesterday. I saw that the pop icon Lady Gaga is praying for this. And matter of fact, you can go on her website, and you can buy a bracelet that says, We Pray for Japan. So she's encouraging people to pray. Uh, Justin Bieber, uh, he is saying on his tweet, my prayers go out to them. Uh, I read an article in the Washington Post, and this writer there said, I struggled all day for something to say about the devastating earthquake and tsunami that has shaken and flooded Japan. The pictures of homes, motor vehicles, airplanes, ships tossed about like toys in a playroom defy imagination. The video of water washing over the land as easily as it does an overflowing sink forces a renewed respect for the fear and the power of Mother Nature. As I watch reports of more earthquakes and aftershocks, the rise in the death toll and the number of missing and the concern over nuclear reactors in that densely packed nation, only one thought comes to mind out of the Washington Post, pray for Japan. So the world's saying, let's pray for Japan. Whether they're believers or not, they're saying, pray. Somehow we instinctively know we should be praying for this situation. Some of the posts that I read were, you know, people that they, they didn't understand God. You can tell they're not really people are praying. Even, there's even a frustration that comes out about God over this. One person in their blog uh, wrote this. God, if you won't help us, would you please just leave us alone? And so you, you see somebody, they're just, they really don't know God. But they're like, I'm praying, but I really don't know how to pray. That's what I hear in that statement. Is somebody saying, God, where are you? Why is this happening? And I don't know how to pray. 
And that person wouldn't be alone. The disciples had come up to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. They could have asked for any number of things for the Lord to teach them on, right? They could have said, Lord, teach us how to, how to speak. He's an amazing communicator. They could have said, Lord, would you please teach us how to, how to lead? You're an amazing leader. How to, how to raise a family, how to have a good marriage, how to do business. They could have asked Jesus any number of things. But I think they saw something in Jesus, folks. I think they saw that his success and his, the power in his life was directly related to the fact that he prayed a lot. And if you're in life groups this week, you're going to find that Jesus prayed at water, his water baptism. Jesus prayed before he would go to the multitudes. He habitually went to prayer. It was his habit to pray. And if our Lord would do that, certainly we're not above our master, then that should be what we do, that we should pray. I don't know what's coming up this year in your life. I don't know what's coming up this year in our country or the world. But this much we do know. For whatever reason, in the year of 2011, in March, God's saying to us, Coastal Church, Pray. Revive. Strengthen your prayer life. And I'm glad that he introduced us to the series that we're using in life groups. And their church in Brooklyn Tabernacle on a Tuesday night, they have anywhere from two to 3,000 people gathered together for prayer. We gather together to pray on Saturday morning. You're all invited to come if you like. We also pray on Tuesday for the prayer needs that we have. And God's saying, church, Pray. Not just corporately, in your homes, when you're, wherever you are, pray, be alert, be praying. We live in a very affluent country. It's easy to be lethargic. It's easy just to kind of be comfortable. Our needs, for the most part, are met. And so God's challenging us to pray. He says, my house should be called a house of prayer. He didn't say it should be called a house of preaching, although we preach there. He didn't say it should be called a house of music, though we have music. He didn't say it should be a house of showcase, or we showcase talent, although we do that. He, he said, my house should be called the house of prayer. That is the core. That's the heart that beats and, and sends the blood to every part of the church. We must be a church of prayer. It's not the biggest attended meeting. It's not the most popular event to go to, but God's calling all of us to pray. So I'll let the pastor pray. I'll let the leaders pray, the life group leaders, whoever, they'll pray. No, God's calling all of us to pray. Well, the worship team can lead in the music, and and I'll just stand and watch. No, he said, all worship. Worship is a form of prayer. These folks, when they're up here playing, they're just helping us lead us. That's why we say they lead us in worship. We all worship. Folks, there's something powerful about prayer And this morning, we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit is really the power that's released in prayer. Because without the Holy Spirit, you can have a form of prayer, and nothing really happens. It's it's just a form. It looks like something, but really there's no power behind it. There was a, a native, and he lived in the village just a number of years ago. And one day, he had saved up enough money. He went to the big city, so excited to be there. He gets there, and you know what surprised him the most in the big city was light bulbs. He said, that is amazing. That beats a candle. That beats a fire. I really like the light bulbs. So he, he took his little bit of money that he had, and he went and he bought a sack of light bulbs, and he bought a sack of switches. 
So he had switches and light bulbs. He said, I see them. They press the button. The light goes on. This is amazing. So he went back to his village, and in every hut he took, and he stuck a light bulb in it. And he put a switch on the wall. And the people said, what are you doing? This is crazy. He said, oh, wait till nighttime comes. You'll see. This is amazing. You'll be so surprised when it gets dark. So when darkness came, you can get the rest of the story. Nothing happened. Because he had a form of power. It looked like power, but there was no electricity flowing into it. You can have a form of religion and a form of prayer, but there's no power behind it. Prayer is meant to be powerful, mountain-removing powerful, if you like. So, first point, the power of prayer is not based on our efforts, but on the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of our prayers is not a measurement of how many minutes we prayed. Well, I prayed for three hours this morning, so it's not, that's good, not wrong, pray for three hours. But that, you can pray for three hours and there's been no power release because it could just be an outward religious exercise. It's not how loud we prayed. Something I'm mad if I, I pray really loud, God will hear me. You can, you can pray under your breath and not even move your lips and God would hear you. Or you could pray really loud and God wouldn't be nervous that you did pray really loud. It's not how loud or how quiet you pray that would show the power of your prayer. It's not the word count, how many words you used. Matter of fact, there's in your notes, Matthew 6, verse 7, Jesus said, when you pray, he doesn't say if you pray, when you pray, he assumes we pray. He also said, and when you give, he assumes you give. He also said, and when you fast, so he assumes we fast. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered only by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them because your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So it's not the word count. It's not where we prayed. Good to pray in church, but how I many know you can pray on the sky train? You can pray in the airplane. You can pray in your house. You can pray in Stanley Park. You can pray wherever you can pray. It's not how religious it sounds. And this is an interesting one. It's not how much emotion was released. Man, I had a good time in prayer because I wept and I cried. And, and that, that can be a sign of a great prayer. But it's not necessary for powerful prayer. What makes prayer powerful is not the emotion that was released, although that is good. Words are good. The, what makes prayer powerful is the faith in the prayer, the trust in the prayer. God said those who worship or those who pray must worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit, your heart's engaged with God's heart, and you're authentic, you're real, you're not phony, you're not faking it, you're not making this up, you're sincerely connecting to God. Interesting movie called Meet the Parents. Greg has got to go and meet his future in-laws. He wants to propose to his, his, his wife-to-be at their home, and he, he just is messing everything up. Every time he tries to impress his father-in-law, it does not go well, his future father-in-law. And so he comes down one time to the dinner table, and to his surprise, the dad says, will you say grace, will you pray? And he just kind of blows it. It's a good example of how not to pray. Let's watch this, and then we'll move on. Not 
Wow, Dina, everything looks fabulous. Well, I'll tell you something, it's such a treat for me to have a home-cooked meal like this. Dinner at my house usually consisted of everybody in the kitchen fighting over containers of Chinese food. Oh, you poor thing. What, there wasn't enough food to go around, Greg? No, there was. We just never really sat down like family like this. Oh. Greg, would you like to say grace? Oh, uh, well, uh, Greg's Jewish dad. You know that. You're telling me the Jews don't pray, honey? Unless you have some objection. No, 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 I'd love to. Pam, come on, it's not like I'm a rabbi or something. I said grace at many a dinner table. It's... Okay. Oh, dear God. Thank you. You are such a good God to us, a, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh, sweet, sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day. Day by day, by day. Oh, dear Lord, three things we pray. To love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day, by day. Amen. Amen. Oh, Greg, that was lovely. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't you just kind of feel for Greg? I don't know, but I, I've been there, done that. Oh, man, I got to pray. And he's like, you're really nervous about praying in public, and he's really nervous, and he's not being himself. He's not being authentic, and he's just kind of going through this formula. He's quoting God's spell in this, and he's just, he's just oh, I got to make this sound good, impress people. The person we're praying to is God. And he's just really concerned where our heart's at and to connect with him. Prayer is powerful. And yet, as we saw in that clip, prayer isn't always easy. Prayer, we need help praying. God knew that. That's why he taught the disciples how to pray. And he said, guess, this is the most amazing part of the message this morning. You really need to grab this is that he sent the Holy Spirit to help us pray. Man, isn't that good? I don't know about you, but I sometimes struggle with my prayer life. There, even now when I read about Japan, I hear about Japan, and I go to pray for Japan, but after about five minutes of prayer, it's like, God, how do I keep praying for this? I feel like I see the need, and I, I watch that, and God, help me to pray for that country, because honestly, I really don't know how to pray for it as I should. That's exactly what Paul said in Romans chapter 8. It's there in your notes. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress. Other translations say infirmities, which means not sickness, but your inability to get results. Helps us in our distress or our challenges, in our obstacles. For we don't even know what we should pray for, nor how we should pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And 
Jesus said in John chapter 14, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Jesus said certainly help them, but he says, he's trying to encourage them because he's going away. He says, it's going to be okay. I'm not going to be there with you physically, but my spirit's going to be with you. I'll send you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Man, that's good. Forever. Because sometimes people come alongside and they help you for a season, but then they're gone. And they're, they're not with you anymore. This is the fact that the Holy Spirit, he's always with you, always helping you. You could have lost everything in a tsunami. It's all wiped away. You even lost your family and you are all alone. But guess what? He is with you forever. And this is for somebody this morning. He's also with you when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When you face death's door, which all of us do, and you have to walk through there, your husband can't walk with you. Your wife can't walk with you. Your grandparents, your father, your mother, your children, nobody can walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. But he walks with you. Never means never, never leaves you, never forsakes you. And Jesus said, I will give you this helper to help you. Wow. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. You've experienced him. You've hung around me. If you hang around Jesus, you'll experience the Holy Spirit. He dwells with you and he will be in you. Pentecost hadn't happened yet. They Resurrection of the Lord hadn't happened yet, but after he was raised from the dead, he poured out his spirit, not just on us, but in us. In the Old Testament, before this moment in history that divided really time, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit dwelt upon people. The Spirit of God was in a man-made temple, but after Jesus rose again, he said, you will be my temple, and I'll put my spirit inside of you. Wow. We had a teacher when I went to Bible school. She was from Kentucky, and she had a real thick accent. But she would tell us that someday she just put her hand on her, on her, on her belly, and she said, the Holy Ghost. She said, we were raised to say Holy Ghost, not Holy Spirit. Today we think ghosts, we think Casper and all kinds of other things. So a spirit actually is better than ghosts. But uh, the Holy Ghost, she said, is in me. And there was, she, it became so real to me that the Holy Spirit is in me. You can't get any closer to the Holy Spirit. When you invite Jesus to come into your life, his spirit and your spirit are galvanized together. And the prayer of Jesus is answered that you have become one with him through the spirit and his spirit's living on the inside of you. And then when he comes alongside and helps you pray, it's not your great words, it's not your eloquence, it's not all that. It's the power of the Holy Spirit, that electricity that's flowing through you. You're not just a light bulb and a switch. There's power that's flowing through your prayers. I'm preaching to somebody this morning that needs to know when you pray, something is happening. The power of the Holy Spirit flows through us when we pray. Prayer is powerful. We're going to tell you a story about Zerubbabel. How many have heard of Zerubbabel? All right. We'll just call him Big Z because his name's hard to pronounce for this morning. And uh, this is a story about 
Zerubbabel. And we pick it up in in the book of Zechariah. That's right near the Old Testament. Zechariah is writing about Zerubbabel. He's a priest. He's also got other roles. But he was sent from Babylon, which would be in Persia, today's Iraq. They were taken captive in Jerusalem. And they got hauled away and ended up living as refugees in Babylon. They didn't like it. They hated it. But God comes along when they're in Babylon and says, you know what? You're here. I've sent you there. And as long as you're in Babylon, I want you to do business. I want you to prosper. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to have children. And I want you to multiply because when the city's at peace, you'll be at peace. And so they live in Babylon. They get over it and they start to prosper there. After 70 years, they get sent back to their city. Their city's a mess. Babylon is like the Vancouver of today. This is the number one city to live in. At least that's what all of us in Vancouver think. Whether they say it or not, we, 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 we love our city, right? And we say, when that paper comes out and it's the number one city in the world to live in, we phone everybody else up in other countries and say, man, uh, you, you see the report that came out? We're, like, we're, we're number one. And that day, Babylon was the number one city in the world to live in. It was known for its hanging gardens, its wide boulevards, the technology. It was cutting edge of the day. Well, these people had lived there for 70 years. That's a couple of generations, and they really grew to like the city. Now God's saying, go back and rebuild Jerusalem. So they go back. Nehemiah is one of the leaders, and Big Z is one of the other leaders. They go back, and they're to rebuild it. But it's a mess. And they, a lot of people stayed in Babylon because they were prospering. They were doing pretty good. Others went to other countries, and they were prospering. And the people that went back, a lot of them were, they were struggling. They, they were saying, okay, I'll go. They, it wasn't the cream of the crop that went. There were some others that just said, yeah, we'll go back and we'll rebuild this. Now, Zerubbabel goes to work, and he works on the temple. He's restoring the temple. In Solomon's day, this temple was amazing. And now they're going to rebuild it. It was all torn down and stripped out, all the gold and all the things that were taken from it. His job's to rebuild it. And he gets discouraged, really discouraged. Matter of fact, he's just let the project sit for about 16 years. And then we pick up this verse that we quote a lot, but we're giving the context around it today. 4 verse 6 in Zechariah. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel to Big Z, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What had happened was he had worked, did all he could to get this project done, and he flat ran out of strength, ran out of power, and just felt like he couldn't finish the job. Have you ever had an idea, a dream, a vision, And you went to work on it, you started it, and you poured your money into it, you poured your energy into it, you poured your time into it, and you got some progress, you made some headway, and then after a while you just said, man, this isn't going nowhere, this is a lot of hard work, I'm hitting obstacle after obstacle, and finally there was one big mountain that came in front of you, and you just said, that's it, I can't go any further, I guess it's over. And you just kind of gave up on the dream and the idea that God put in your heart. This is where Zerubbabel's at. He's like, oh, this is it. I, I may as well just quit. And then God comes along and says to him, he says, hey, it's not going to be your might. It's not going to be your strength, but by my spirit. That's why Jesus said, I sent the Holy Spirit to be your helper. 
Because you can't get over it. You can't get through it, but my spirit's going to help you. And then in verse 7 in Zechariah, I love what God says here through the angel. He says, who are you, O great mountain? That's like God saying to you, what is your great obstacle? Who who is it? Is it it too big for God? Then he goes on to say, before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plane. That's God's way of saying, I'm going to get a bulldozer, and we're going to blast you, we're going to move you, and we're going to totally wipe you out. You're going to be as flat as the plains of Regina. Have you been to Regina, Saskatchewan? I mean, it is so flat. They tell us that if you stand on a dime in Regina, you can see the Rocky Mountains. That's how flat it is. Some of you haven't been there. It's, it really is flat. There's no sign of a mountain. When we went there with our kids when they were younger, and uh, Lacey was along, and we were driving one day from Saskatoon to Regina, and Lacey has this moment, and she looks up and she says to Cheryl, Mommy, who took away all the trees? <laughs> Not a tree to be seen. Grew up in B.C. He says, I'm going to take that mountain. I'm going to make it like a plane. And then he says, and he shall bring forth. This is a very interesting word here. Look at this note. He, says, he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. This is Zerubbabel. He's tired. He's discouraged. He's been working on this project. Nothing's happening. God shows law up and says, not your power, not your strength. By my spirit, and by the way, I see your project completed. We don't see it completed, but God sees it complete. He says, you're going to put a capstone on this. If you go outside our building and look up on the entrance here, you'll see these big white blocks around the perimeter of the building on the roof. Those are the capstones. That stone you put on last. It's actually decorative. And you finish it up. It's the icing on the cake. It's the bow tie. It's the bow. God says, we're going to put a bow on this thing. You're going to finish this job, and we're going to put a capstone on it. Folks, what's undone? The degree, the business. Maybe you're here, and you're single today. You say, oh, I tried that. I went online, and I went to an event there, and I've done that, and I'm just putting it on hold. I've done everything I know to do. God has a word for you this morning. Not your might, not your strength. Not your perfume, not your clothes, not your cologne, not your physique. By my spirit, it's going to be done. I hear wedding bells. I'll put a capstone on it. God finishes the work he starts. Look at Philippians 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing. He has begun a good work in you. He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Lord's teaching us, speak to the mountain. Jesus taught this. Matthew 21, so Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say, puts the ball in our court, if you say to this mountain, be removed, be cast in the sea, it will be done. Zerubbabel, you quit. You got tired. You ran out of strength. You ran out of energy, and you said it's over. God shows up and says, no, no, it's not over. By my spirit, it's going to be done. Mountain be removed. Let there be a plane. God say, you do the same thing. Mark, he says, have faith in God. Then he goes on to say, whoever shall say to this mountain, be removed. So you have to say it to the mountain. Part of prayer is actually obstacle, be removed. There's a vision. There's a dream. There's something God's put in my heart that must be done. 
I've worked. I did all I could do. And now, God, I call upon you by your spirit. Prayer releases the electricity, if you like, the power of the Holy Spirit to flow into a situation that on your own, you cannot make anything more happen. Prayer is powerful. changes things. Lastly, God's chosen his power to work through us. Somebody asked a question last week. They said, well, if God knows everything, why do I have to pray? If you go to the book of Revelation, you read all the different churches, and God says to every single church, the Lord Jesus says, I know your works. I know your works. I know your works. I know your works. So God knows all about us. So if God knows, why would I even have to ask? Well, one of the reasons we ask, we pray, is because God works through us. We're it, folks. Well, why don't the angels do it? Well, that would be easier if they just did everything. But no, God's chosen. It's his design that he'd work through us. He said, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works. Glorify your Father who's in heaven. In Ezekiel, he said, I will take that heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. And when I do that, the nations will see that I am God. They, they see the greatness of God when it's reflected in us. He says, I, I choose to work through you. I, I come to live in you. Man, that's exciting. He chose to work through us. He says the same thing to Zerubbabel. I'm going to work through your hands. Look at the verse 9 and 10, chapter 4. Not by my power, but by my spirit. He goes on in verse 9 to say, The hands of Big Z, Zerubbabel, have laid the foundation of this temple. You got the foundation done, but now you quit. Maybe you got the foundation done in a part of your, your dream, your, your goal, and, and you said, man, I, I ran out of money, I ran out of steam, I ran out of energy, and it's been sitting on the shelf collecting dust. His was for 16 years, and God says, you laid the foundation, but then he declares this, his hands shall also finish it. Then you will know the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. When you feel the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit flowing into this work, you'll know that I'm there. Well, okay, break that down, Pastor. How does that happen practically? I'll tell you how. All of a sudden, you get divine connections. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the bank shows up and says, hey, we're with you. All of a sudden, the lawsuit is dropped. All of a sudden, there's these breakthroughs and breakthrough. And you see God's fingerprints there and his fingerprints there. It's supernaturally natural. All of a sudden, what was impossible to do, all of a sudden, there's, we prayed for somebody. They were up against the wall getting their immigration papers, tried, applied, denied, tried, applied, denied, did everything they could do. We prayed, Holy Spirit, help us. They came into the country, and it was welcome to Canada. How did that happen? I think it's like we, we, we missed this part of the verse on the previous page, when he puts a capstone on, it says you bring the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Grace is God's unmerited favor. His supernaturally, a supernatural ability that's given to you to do something that you don't have the strength to do. Wow. What's, what's in your plate? What's in your life that's not done? Where, are you quit? Where did you quit? Where did you feel like, oh, I can't go any further? God's saying, by my spirit. Pray by my spirit. I want to help you. 
Sometimes your boss doesn't want to help you. Your business partner doesn't want to help you. Your relatives don't want to help you. You already asked them for a loan. You can't ask them for another one. You ask that person for help. And he's like, God, you're it. You're my help. And he likes it. Ephesians 3.20. You've got to get this preacher done. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think according to what? The power, the power, the electricity, if you like, that works in us. We were at a vision conference this past week. There was this amazing pastor from Jakarta, Pastor Jeffrey, and he was telling a story because they had gone through some dark seasons in their church life where the church had suffered persecution. And he got up to speak and he said, you know, at the nighttime, God does amazing things. And I was kind of bracing myself, wondering what kind of message this would be. But he went on to share an amazing message. I wish I had time to talk more about it. But he said, you know, when, when God put Adam in the garden, he said, name all the animals. A lot of work and God did that. And then God put him to sleep. And while he was asleep, God took a rib from him and he created woman. It says that God worked while Adam slept. Adam woke up and he said, whew, what happened when I was sleeping? This is amazing. And I think that's why, like Cheryl alluded to earlier, that's why Adam had to sleep so he wouldn't mess up the process. And, 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 and woman could be created and he was surprised to see her. And we've constantly been surprised with women ever since. And so that's the whole idea of that. So he created woman. But that, that work happened while he slept. And then he went on to share that we do our best during the daytime to work. And there's plenty of verses that talk about that, that we, we do our best. We, we work hard. We bring the loaves and fishes, so to speak, to God. We do what we can do. But then there comes a point where we're tired, where we're spent. What do I do when I'm tired and spent? Do I keep working? Do I keep struggling? Do I grit it out? Oh, one more time. Or do I just say, no, now it's time to rest. When you really trust God, you enter that rest. And I just rest. Nighttime has come. I rest. We don't run from the darkness. We don't run from the dark seasons in our life where we say, God, where are you? I don't know which direction to go. In that season, it's time to rest. And when we rest, God works. In Mark chapter 4, it talks about the sower sowing the seed. And it says, Jesus gives the example of the sower. The farmer puts the seed in the soil and he wakes up after sleeping and the crop has come up. How it grew, he does not know. But when he slept, God was at work. Folks, when you're in the dark season of your life, when you've done everything you know how to do, and now you're saying, God, I'm going to rest. I've done all I do. Like Paul said, having done all I stand I've done everything I'm going to do. I'm going to rest in you. And in that rest season, God works. How it grows, you don't know. Paul went on to say here, or Zechariah goes on to say, Who's despised the day of small things? For seven rejoiced to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. He put that plumb line out. Everything was finished. Their eyes of the Lord would scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. God is looking for people that will just say, God, I trust you to finish. I trust you by your power to be at work in my life. Wow. God's going to finish some stuff in our lives, some projects, some dreams, some visions. He's going to finish them. He's at work. Even while we rest, God's at work. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.